Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Facts, Stats, and Smacks. And your host, Kevin and Avery. So, um, welcome to this week's episode. It's going to be a fun episode because not only do we have Kevin and I here, so welcome, Kevin. Good to uh, see you. We also have Adrian. So, welcome, Adrian. Um, Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. The reason why we have you here is because we like to talk about sports that aren't just North American. And you are part of the Calgary Kangaroos. Am I right? That's correct. Okay. I'm glad I got that right and not another team. But um, we're talking Australian rules football today. And it's a sport that really intrigues me. So we'll start out. I, I don't know where to start this one because I have so many questions, but... What can you just give me a brief overview of Australian rules football and what we're missing in North America about this great sport? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's actually an honor to be talking Australian rules football here in Canada. The club, the Calgary Kangaroos, has been operating in Calgary for 20 years now. This is our 20th anniversary. And in a nutshell, that's a really difficult question. Basically, uh, if you were first time watching Australian rules football, you'd probably think there were no rules. <laughs> it is a very dynamic game, uh, huge oval in comparison to uh, the North American sports. The fields are about 180 metres long by 150 metres wide. And it's an elaborate game of keepings off, passing by foot and handball which is another unique uh unique skill of our game and it runs over four quarters and high school wins by the end of it <laughs> and uh very it can be quite physical in the crunches but it's yeah it's a great sport so is it would you say i watch a lot of highlights on it the highlights that i see are really physical like obviously highlights are going to show those big hits and but there's a lot of running that goes along with it too is it more athletic or more like hitting and Oh, there's a lot of both there. There's so it is the average the average build. It's like if you look at a, a rugby, a, a comparable sport. You have some, the props and the big boys in the forward packs. We we have I guess some of those more of the taller guys, uh, like a lock in rugby. But a lot of our players would have the physique or build of the backs in rugby. Where uh, look, I'm six foot, hundred and eighty odd pounds, and it's a it's probably a typical build uh, out of plus or minus between four or six inches and the but the game is uh, there is a lot of endurance the game goes for 20 minutes of playing time each quarter which generally could be 28 to 30 minutes of actually in between breaks or the quarter time and the half time periods and three quarter time and uh, yeah especially in the earlier parts of the season the those big hits they they do take the stuffing <laughs> out of you and uh, as the, as the game wears on Legs get heavier, skills yeah. drop off. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a mishmash of everything. So you talk about the field size and it's pretty big. Like it's obviously bigger than what we're probably used to in North America with football fields, which is probably the biggest field that we have. Well, besides golf, but that's for a different discussion. But how many players do you have on the field at once? So each team has 18, 18 players aside. So there are going to be 36 uh, players on a field per team. It's, basically zoned into six forwards, six midfielders, and six defenders. And you're really going to be operating in those those areas. Your midfielders, they do the bulk of the traffic. They're the on-ballers that they're often referred to, and they're the fit ones. They're the fit guys that are <laughs> right there. If you're in in back, you're, you're wanting your, your midfielders to be uh, helping out down the back. They're also the ones that can also add to the scoring pressure, helping up the forwards to uh, to get that field, uh, to get those those scores up. So they're, they're the three, I guess, categories that you would have uh, for a traditional uh, team. Nice. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen a few highlights also, and it's something that, you know, the bigger the hit, the faster and more you're going to watch. <laughs> I think and that goes with almost any physical sport. But when when the, the play is starting... Uh, I'm not sure if it's the scrum or the crunch that you were referring to at the beginning. Is there a certain time to set that up to get the play going? Or is it more of a, strat a strategic thing? So on on the physicality to, uh, to where I should jump in there with basically anywhere below the shoulders and above the knees is is fair game. If you have the ball or within five meters of the ball, you are fair game. Uh, you can be hit from anywhere uh, head is sacrosanct. You cannot take touch anyone above the shoulders, and the same anywhere below the knees is going to be tripping. 
The game starts with, uh, we call it, you'd say a referee, we call it an umpire. Uh, the umpire will, traditionally, if you're watching uh, the highlights back home, the, the, the center umpire will bounce the ball. That's quite a unique because it is, um, it is a weird shaped ball. So that, and it's, it can deflect or bounce anywhere. It's, uh, that's the unpredictable of, under, unpredictability of the sport. And basically, once you get control of that ball, then if you are passing that ball by foot, and you, the other, your teammate catches it, or an opponent catches it. It's called a mark, so you cannot be touched whilst you've marked the ball. And so that's when you'll see someone hold that ball, and he'll go back, analyze the play, and then if he goes off that mark, then the umpire will call play on it, and then you can get collected any which way, like from forward back. As long as you're not breaking a rule, and one of those rules is getting pushed in the back but you can be taken out from the side or tackled. And if you've had prior opportunity to get rid of that ball and the umpire doesn't think you've got rid of that ball correctly or disposed of that ball correctly, then he will award a free kick to the other side and then you lose possession. Mm. Okay. So you talk about the unpredictability of the bouncing of the ball. And we were talking a little bit beforehand and it's an art almost. It sounds like it would be an art just to get it down packed and, Get, get stuff precisely right. When the when the umpire is bouncing it at the very first of the game, or is he trying to do a good bounce, or like are some referees just like try to bounce it straight up and down, or do some not even care and they'll just throw it wherever and who knows where it's going to land, or is there any predictability on the umpire's part of that? It's a very good question. And uh, back in the day, it, when the umpire starts the game and when it bounced, if it went off at a 45 degree tangent, like it's play on, like it's, it, it didn't matter these days for the, the game is a more of a, a bit of a performance. Now when you're watching the big league back home and you'll now see at that center circle, when the umpire will bounce that ball and he, if it goes outside the second circle, he will call it back. Time will stop for a second and he'll then throw the ball up and it's just a vertical throw up and then the two ruckmen, which is generally the, the, the two tallest guys on either side, uh, will go up and then contest that ball by tapping it to one of their midfielders or whoever okay. else is crumbing. So that that generally around the field when uh, in, in play, if there's if the if there's a contest and everyone packs on the ball and there's no clear uh, uh, way to get rid of that ball, the umpire will blow his whistle, he'll say, give it to me. And then he'll go and throw the ball up just so it, the art is meant to be to be thrown all up. The skill level for what we were just chatting about earlier is when a player gets that ball and there's no one within proximity to him and he wants to run with that ball, he's allowed to run with that ball. But every 15 meters, he has to bounce that ball. And that in itself is an art for first timers. It's, it's actually, we shouldn't say it's humorous, but it's a lot more difficult than it looks and it will take years of experience and or practice and that, like anything really it's it is just practice but the bounce of the ball every 15 meters you have to then correctly bounce the ball and then you can keep running with the 15 meters is the field similar to like an NFL or CFL field where it has the markings on that so the player can judge or is it more of a just a mental training of how far you're going at what speed yeah really good question and and to answer that it's so to answer that there are no markings on the field except for what we'd say the arcs and they're 250 meter arcs away from the goal line okay. and generally like <laughs> these days i'll be struggling to make that sort of distance but um the guys that are that are guys and girls that are playing today they can they can hit the range outside those arcs so they're pretty much the only times you, you know where you are what an umpire what we're trained to do is basically 15 steps and that's an so it doesn't have to be in a straight line it doesn't have to be heading towards your goal you could be running uh, at a 90 degree angle like just clearing going to the fat side of the ground where there's less players and you could be opening up that play and if you start running in a opposite direction those those feet or footsteps still count so okay. and the, and it's and if the if you're watching it on TV the crowd will also start giving you a hint because if you ran too far, the crowd will start to, you'll hear that murmur and then the umpire will start blow the whistle if he deems you have gone too far. So is it sort of like, I'm going to compare it to the NBA, like where they're allowed two steps. Would better players be able to get like a 16 meter rule out of it or 
or it, does it, it really matter? You know what? That, that's that actually is you bang on there because uh, the the team that I follow, there, there's one guy that he got goal of the year, I think, last year, or one of the goals of the year. And the, a lot of the the feedback or was that he did run too far, and for him, Crippo was he is a jet of the game, and so he did. Yeah, there was probably 17, 18 <laughs> steps in there. Okay. But it was a great goal. So you kind of, it would have been a cruel, <laughs> cruel umpire to pull that one back. But uh, yeah, you, you, you basically play until you hear the whistle. Yeah. So yeah, it was play on. I, I'm just wondering, for as demand, physically demanding as of a sport as it is, is there a specific game day preparation in terms of ca- carving up or just a little less training and things like that? Like what leads into the actual game day? So back home, we would if the season really goes from end of March to end of August for the regular home and away, and September is finals football. Goes for four weeks. You'll want to growing up as a kid, you you just dream about that one day in September. It's that last Saturday in September, and it's our to use a, a North American term. That's our Super Bowl. It's called our grand final. So it's a long season. Now teams will start preseason even before Christmas of the year prior. So if a, if a team has not, if a team has finished and not made the finals, so pretty much by uh, end August, they're done for the year. They'll take September, most of October off as well. Those teams that made the finals will probably get October off and then you're back at it. More at the amateur level, like uh, in the, in the, in the cities, you may have a couple of runs before Christmas, but after the Christmas break, you've probably put on, and that's summer back home as well. So you've probably added a few pounds and uh, good all the all the carvings at Christmas, so you just start training, and it's just getting those kilometers in your legs, and also the grounds are really hard at that time of the year as well. So nothing can prepare you for that. It is like falling, getting hit like at full tackle, full speed, getting tackled onto the ground, which is like concrete. You you need and you you have the next three months with no skin on your knees either or elbows. You just get <laughs> scraped up. But that's what you come to expect. You you play the game for for the love of the sport from a very young age. I've played it, and you just know that it it, it is definitely it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, even mm-hmm. though it feels like you're sprinting most of the time. But it, it's a long season. So you talk about ground being really hard. It's the summertime there. You got is that's pre that's pre season. No, okay, it is. Sorry, it, it is a winter sport. Yeah. So you you'll see then around our June July, even August. It, you're, you're playing on some wet tracks and it doesn't matter. It could rain could be coming. We don't get the, uh, all the white stuff that we get, uh, yeah. up here in Canada, fortunately, but it could be blowing a gale rain could be coming down in sheets and you're still playing in it and you're going to have low scores that day. And you're just trying to find the heat heating packs, uh, in the quarter time <laughs> huddles and then, and the ball gets rock hard as well. You it just breaks your hands every time yeah. you, you almost sometimes want to run, run, run away from the darn thing. But, uh, uh, you know, you'd never do that, but it's, uh, yeah, the game plays in, yeah, rain, hail or shine. Yeah. That, that was exactly what I was wondering, like playing in any weather. And that's, I, I like that. I, I used to play rugby and I used to love playing in the rain. I just thought it was more interesting as a forward. I didn't have to worry too, too much because like being a big guy, you're not sprinting all that way. <laughs> so yeah, think, like rolling around, like just playing in the rain was always a treat for me. So I always enjoyed that. Yeah. It's, it's good for the taller guys. The, the, the old saying is the taller guys don't get shorter as the games go longer. <laughs> but the, I didn't mind as, as my playing uh, career, naturally you slow down i didn't mind the rain and the wet either yeah. because it slowed the quicker kids down exactly uh, quicker guys that are a lot younger and uh and agile i think the only time i've actually played or where a game is being called off and it was lightning that's the only time i can think okay. of when uh, okay. when there wouldn't be when we haven't played there's been lightning nearby and then and it was just postponed by a few hours until the storm went through some more like a player safety issue and you don't want to see Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So you played as a kid. Did you play professionally, or did you? No, it's uh, <laughs> you, you just you. Growing up, I, I grew up in a very uh, very small town of five hundred people in northern Victoria. So Melbourne is that uh, we call it the home of football. There'd be a lot of states and uh, and cities around that would probably contest that these days because it is a national sport. But in my little town, uh, pretty much in the in the in the winter months, that's all there was. It was mm-hmm. was football. Started playing when I was pretty much 10 years of age. And then you go through into it, and that's like the fifths. And then under 14s was the fourth, under 17s used to get called the the thirds. 
then you and then when you're of age like as a young adult like from 18 and up you're really playing in the senior team so bigger bodies um and then in our in our small town if you're in the top 18 that's your first team and then the second team or the reserves and so so I played through that into Melbourne, never at a professional level, just uh, just more the love of the game, and then nice. bringing that here, and that's something that I've uh, it's been quite different for me here because when you're playing in home, you're basically at your team, even you within your team is particularly in the bigger cities, it's all ranked in divisions, and there's promotions and relegations. And so you're generally at your level in your team across the board with your opponents. Whereas here in Calgary, like I've come up here and played and we have had some amazing players that if I'm playing up forward and some of the deliveries to me from some of our midfielders are guys that I wouldn't, I was never good enough to play with back home because they were always would be in a, in a much higher league. Mm. Same goes. You also, sometimes you're against opponents that you'll, you look pretty good against because they're not, they're not quite at your skill level as well. So here in Calgary and I'm sure all the, all the teams in both Canada and and in the U S because it is a growing sport, you do have those varying skill, skill levels, but it, it, it just makes the, the, the art or the, the sport so much more enjoyable to then watch and, see the better players helping out and bringing up that the grass level guys and learning the the art of our game nice um how long have you been playing in calgary for so i'm coming on uh, about 13 years in calgary living of that i haven't played for the past five years but that's uh again old age and injuries have uh have caught up with me a few uh few surgeries recently and and i don't want to put people off the game it's uh it's just how how the game gets played <laughs> i um you don't get too many guys. Oh, like I'm in in my uh, in as a mid forties guy. I'm probably ten years past my use by date back home. Anyhow, there's we don't have like the rec leagues per se. Oh, there there is uh, uh for the older like uh, the thirty eights and over. I think, but the rec leagues of hockey where it's non contact. There, I don't know how you'd play our sport as non contact. Is mm-hmm. once you cross the line that that your goal is to get that ball. And you get that ball, and you want to put it through through the goals to yeah. to score. So that's um, that that's the aim. And it's how, as I said, if someone's got that ball, you want to get it off them <laughs> anywhere above the knees and below the chin is is fair game. Yeah, you were just saying with the, the obviously with any sport, just to get that the score right. Is there a specific way? Like is it like is it different plays that get different points, or is it just one way with a certain amount with that point? Yeah, another uniqueness of uh, of our sport with each end of the ground, it has got four posts. So think of your what like rugby that has the the two main posts, and you get it through there. It's a, it's a um, what is that? It's a conversion if you kick it through yeah. there. But in our sport, if you kick the ball through the middle two posts, the two tall posts, it's worth six points, and that's a goal. And if you miss. And you miss the the actual goals, and it goes through in between the big sticks and the, the smaller sticks. That's called a behind or a point. The other the other as well is if the ball goes is heading through for a goal, it has to be by foot. If someone touches it or it gets knocked through, it gets de- deemed one point as well. So if oh. someone on a typical score and a, a good score, if you could get they say if you can get triple figures, like if you get a hundred points or more, you, chances are you in the the higher leagues is you'll win that game. The average, like, 15 goals and 10 behinds, 15 times 6 is 90, plus 10 points is 100. So that's, if you were looking at the TV and you saw something like, yeah, 10-10, it would be 70, because 10 goals is worth 60 points, and the next number would be 10, and they're worth 1. So that yeah, it's if if you don't have a rule book and you then stumble on TSN <laughs> and you're watching and then you're trying to figure out what sort of mathematics is uh, is that equation? Yeah, the first number is goals with worth six. Second number is points or behinds. So you you talk about the four goalposts, and I know you talked about earlier. There's like a big line 50, 50 yards out. Yep. Um, fifty yards, fifty meters. It's a fifty meter arc. Yeah. yeah. Um, but between the two main posts, there's like this box. What's the significance of that box? That's the center square. It's another 50 meter there, depending on the size of the ground. So when when you have... Now, the rules have actually changed in the last couple of years. What you would usually have is at the, each center square, so at the start of every quarter 
and after a team has kicked the goal, the ball goes back into the middle. Inside the centre, you can only have your three, pardon me, your four midfielders, your ruck, your ruck rover, and your rover, plus your centreman. And they're pretty much going to be, one's the tallest guy of the team generally, he's the ruck. The next three are your on-ball brigade. They are usually the most fittest guys. They're running, in the leagues back home, they're running between 15, 20 kilometres a game. Oh. And it, it's it's amazing what they can do. I'd be <laughs> divide that by 10 for me these days, but uh, <laughs> uh, and that'd be just in the forward, forward line. The centre square is no one else can go into that centre square until the ball has been balled up or until the umpire throws or ball or bounces that ball. Once the ball is bounced, then everyone can go there. But basically it's a it's a boundary so you don't get like when you watch under tens play, there's like thirty six kids running around chasing this ball around. <laughs> they're, 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 the, it, that would then put in such like a boundary so yeah. it could clear. These days it's changed, and you would have your your forward flanks, like three of your forward line and three of your back. They would be also at at each end of that, and they would be running in as well. But the game has changed professionally, where those six backs and forwards have to be in that fifty meter arc. So nowadays, if you're watching any centre square, the only people that are outside or on that line are the wingmen, which is a player in like on the on the middle of the centre of the sideline. That are, that are going to run in. So then that would bring it to six midfielders would be all in that center, okay. but only yeah. four at the start of the bounce. Okay. That's, it's interesting. Like just learning all these like finer points to the game. I'm, I'm liking this. So it's, we talked beforehand and just some of the things you see in the highlights besides the big hits are the big jumps and you're jumping up on top of your opponent's back or your teammates back to get the ball. Is that just like a, another way to get the ball and and i'm going to go back to basketball you get that big jump and you jump on your opponent's back is that almost sort of like the basketball equivalent of like dunking on somebody yeah and, and, you know what when they come down with the ball yeah you don't want to be someone's stepladder but it's in the rules of the game as long as you're not putting your hands on their shoulders or pushing them in the back with your hands some of the guys and girls now that that can get that have great vertical leap they can come up from behind and then basically stand on your head. And that's a term we use, but they'll basically get their knee up onto your shoulders. It could hit you in the back of the back of the head, which is it's never it never one, it hurts, and two, it's just that that shame that someone comes yeah. down. And we call it a specky back home. It's like a spectacular grab, but we call it a specky. And those that can, if you then have leaped up and great and the crowd gets behind it, it, it is awesome. But that's another one of the arts. It's those that can and perfectly legal. You come down with it, it's a mark. And then the umpire will give you that free kick, especially if it's in front of goal. If you can then go back and slot the goal and get the six points after a big grab, it's awesome. If you miss the ball completely and you the umpire is then deemed that you've impeded or infringed the guy below you, you'll give away a free kick. Okay. So that's the thing. You don't have to mark it if you've then made a legitimate attempt and you're up there and you've just got stage fright or you're you're afraid of heights, then uh, yeah, and you drop the ball. That's okay. As long as you've made a legitimate effort to take that grab, uh, and you've done it legally without putting hands on the shoulder or the back, it's uh, it's fair game. Nice. It, that's like one of the coolest things I I see in highlights. It's just uh. Like just getting up there and catching the ball. And, well, similar to the dunks, yeah. if you then come down with a ball, I can't say that I've uh, brought many of those big big <laughs> ones down. But then it's you, your chest is pumped out a little bit, and you, you're looking. And, <laughs> and, and it is when when someone uses me as a step ladder, you just don't want to look at them in the eye because they've got that. <laughs> they're probably doing that bit of a nod, and it's like you see that yeah. kind of thing. It's like yeah, we all saw that, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great skill to have. Nice, nice. Is it? Because I haven't really seen much other than the highlights. In terms of penalties and free play, is it interrupted a lot or is it normally pretty uh, a smooth flowing game? It, it, the latter. You, you'd hope, you want the umpires to be out of it as much as possible. Like the, and I, oh, again, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a biased player. So <laughs> I, I, the, the club has asked me at times, could I umpire? And I'd, I'd probably get in fights with myself because it's, you just want the ball to flow. And yeah. as I as I think I mentioned earlier, it is an elaborative game of keepings off, and you just want 
and there is so much strategy. You're just trying to find that way to get it into your forward line to 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 get that score, to get that goal. Um, if if the other team can sense sense that you are coming or like that you are flooding down, they'll try and flood that back line at times as well. So they'll they'll block up the holes on where your key forwards will be trying to run into. But you are you are trying to keep that ball live and you could hold that if if the opponent can't get it off you then you you keep holding that ball there's no time limit there's not you don't have a a certain amount of time to, to get rid of the ball once if if the ball gets punched over the boundary line that the, another umpire the boundary umpire will actually throw that ball in again and, and the clock starts so the ball goes out of bounds the clock will stop playing time clock will stop and then when it gets thrown back in you start again and then whoever gets the ball you kick it to someone you mark play continues but you can't be touched or if you handball it to a guy one of your 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 teammates then it's play on but and then you run with the ball until you need to take that that bounce on, okay. on every 15 meters so you talked there about handballing it to somebody like is that a preferred method to get the ball to a teammate or would you rather kick it or the, uh, well outside of kicking it's the only correct way you can dispose of the ball if the ball is in play and it's coming up, you could punch the ball. Uh, and a lot of defenders, that's how you're taught, punching from behind so the forward doesn't mark that ball or catch that ball. Basically, when you're in the in the, in the the crunches, if you've got the ball and you're trying to get the ball out quickly, it's by hand. And by, you're holding the, the ball with one hand and you have to have a fist. You have to hit the ball, take the ball out of your handballing by hitting the ball out of your other hand with a clenched fist. If you did it with an open hand, the umpire will say it's throwing the ball. If you have both hands that are looks like it is throwing the ball, you'll get pinged for throwing the ball as well. It has to be with a clenched fist that you're punching the ball. Oh, yeah. And then it's play on because the only way time can stop when the ball is in play is if you've kicked it and someone has caught it, which is that mark that I've mentioned. I, I think like just getting the ball around, like playing rugby, you just toss it to somebody, so I find it interesting. Like That must be an art on itself, whether you're hitting it or kicking it to a teammate, because just the awkwardness of that ball, and sometimes it can go that way or whatever way, like just to get it precisely to a teammate, that must take a lot of patience, or not patience, but a lot of skill. I, I would say there is a lot of patience in the game. Like As much as you want to rush and get that ball forward, You, it's all about possession and controlling possession and sometimes controlling the tempo of that game. No disrespect to our, the, our, my rugby friends that basically all the opponents in rugby are in front of you. So mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to, to judge. You really need your peripheries, peripherals here in, in Australian rules football because your, your opponent could be ready to smoke you from behind or just without pushing you in the back, but he can take you out in your blind spot. And they're the ones that hurt the most when you just don't see it. You're just yep. not ready for that yep. hit. Yep. So when you've got the ball, basically you, it is very, it's three-dimensional. You've got the ball and you're looking around. You may be then kicking it backwards if, if there's too many people in front of you and you cannot see an avenue to go to goal. Sometimes the, the, the better way is to be kicking it out what we call to the fat side of the ground where there's no one out on that side of the ground and it's called a switch. So you'd switch it to the other side, or we'd say the fat side, and then you would start running the ball down along the the other side. You will see everyone else start to move or migrate onto that side of the ground. But then if they, and then it could come back. So if you are watching it, especially towards the end of the quarters when you're not the team that's up in the last quarter, especially if you're up, they try and kill the clock. But you can only do that once everyone then finds a man, and the and the umpire then calls play on. You've got to then. If if you haven't get got rid of that ball after a mark in the in the set time that the umpire says, you know what, you've had enough time now, play on, then you can you can get smoked. But the the art is to be finding your teammate and then getting an avenue into your forward line to get the goal. Nice. With the hits and come come the uh, injuries obviously during the game. And you said that there's a playing clock and then there's just the regular clock. Is it something similar? to uh, soccer with injury time. So once the regulation time of that game is concluded, is there a time that's left for the injuries or does the clock stop when a player gets hurt? Uh, so yes, yes and no. So if in the, the, the playing time is 20 minutes, 
Now, the players will not know how much time is on the clock. Those that are on the bench or that are up in the coaches may have a clock. And, and if you're watching on TV, you will see the clock on the screen. That And and so too to the, the coach's box. But as a player, you can be looking at... So if there's a lot of goals that have been scored or there's been a lot of... Or if there have been some injuries, you know that the, the quarter will go more than 25, 28 minutes. Uh, it's, mm. it's very rarely would a quarter go for as short as 25 minutes. If there's been a lot of stop it, stoppages, um, blood rule. Uh, someone has blood, the umpire will call uh, time off, and then the guy will get sent off, and then a replacement will come on. Those sorts of quarters could go 30, 32 minutes. Oh. And of, of actually the clock still running, but playing time is 20 minutes per quarter, and that's okay. judged yeah. by the, the umpire's whistle. He'll he'll blow his whistle to to start it, and if there was to be if the ball didn't cross the boundary line, it stayed in play, and there was no free kicks or anything else, then it would go for it would be a short quarter. It would go for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, never would happen. Like twenty five plus minutes is generally the time of actual playing time each quarter. So how many subs do you have on the team now? Changed. It's uh, well, actually, it's still four. Uh, so you generally, if you're picking a team, you've got 22, and and it's a rolling sub as well. So unlike soccer, once you're off, you're off. Okay. Um, back in the day, if if the if the coach dragged you, it's generally you did something wrong, and uh, or or someone needed a spell. But now you'll see even your best players coming off. If someone kicks a goal, your best couple of players will run off just to get a couple of minutes on the bench to uh, rehydrate, and then they'll be back out there. But you, they've now capped it. I cannot remember what it is. It won't happen in the uh, in the more amateur leagues, but you've now got a set amount of substitutions as well in a game. So that's about the player management now, and, to, that's, and there's coaches to handle that as well on on what the rotations are looking like and, what, uh, and how many rotations you've made during the game. Okay, that's kind of cool. So, what's the size of the football? Like, is it bigger than this NFL ball, or smaller than a rugby ball, or? So it's probably not as. Think of a CFL. Uh, it doesn't feel as fat as a CFL. So, but it's an oval ball similar to the NFL, CFL, rugby ball, made out of kangaroo hide. Um, oh. So it's uh, and that, that's why the the Sharon back in the old days on how how it was uh, how they were originally made, and and with a bladder on the inside and laces. So we we when we're kicking the ball, you want it lace out. That's how 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 you it would spin backwards. How when you're kicking the ball and when you're handballing it, it's just for an ease of mark. But it would be, I guess, the easiest way is similar size to a to a CFL ball. Okay, so a little bit bigger than an NFL ball, which yeah. is kind of cool. Is there a specific weight that it has to be, or like height included? Yeah, there would be. I I couldn't tell you what the again play on a wet game and uh, wet day, and it it, (laughs) it doubles in weight. It's uh, that that leather does. So the the balls are with technology these days. Well, the balls do are a lot more water resistant, but. Playing, uh, playing back home in the day, it was oh, shocking. It was, uh, it, it was like punching a brick. Oh. <laughs> what, what team do you go for? What, what's your team? So my team is the Carlton Blues. Uh, we actually, it's round two uh, has just kicked off back home uh, overnight. That's why I was a little tired today. I was up, uh, up before the Sparrows to watch it. We went two and zero, which has been the first time in ten years. Uh, my selfless plug for any of the guys watching it: most successful team in the history of the in the AFL, VFL, AFL, with sixteen premierships, so sixteen championships we've won. However, the last time we won was nineteen ninety five, so it's been a long time without drinks. <laughs> um, we came runners up in ninety nine and 03. We've got a good list, and uh, I, it's too early in the season now. We're two and zero, but we did beat. <laughs> Just last night or overnight, we beat last year's runners-up, and uh, round one, we beat the previous year's champions. So we had a tough start, tough opening two rounds, and uh, and we've got over them with some good recruiting and, uh, to use that word again, a lot of patience. But, uh, yeah, the Carlton Blues, it's uh, it, they're one of the original four teams or the big four teams in Melbourne. And uh, as as the commentators say, for the Blues to have their swagger back, it is good for the game. Everyone wants to knock us off. We we nice. are like the the Manchester United or the New England mm. Patriots of the NFL. 
and uh, there'd be a lot of teams. A lot of teams love to hate us, so that's that's what we kind of like. Are they in league with? All of Australia, or is it just like yeah, Australian rules football? I guess no one no one else knows the rules, but at at the professional level, there is uh, in 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 the AFL Australian Football League, there are eighteen teams, ten of which are in Melbourne, two are in Adelaide, two are in Perth, two are in Sydney, and two are in Brisbane. So it, it is centrally down dominated in melbourne or in victoria uh, there's one team just out of melbourne the geelong cats very good team in every one of the states so there are lower league or feeder leagues uh mm-hmm. that also are professional uh each like the south australian national football league the sandful waffle they western australia football league they all have prof- they have players not as the remuneration isn't the same. Like there's there's some big paid players in the AFL, and that's what every kid's dream is. Outside of Australia, I don't know of any professional. The biggest tournament outside of Australia is actually the US Nationals, which happens in October every year. Calgary uh, have, have had mixed fortunes down there, um, mm-hmm. done very well over the years, and uh, but no professionals play here in North America. So is it shared stadiums in Melbourne? Like you have 10 teams. Is there 10 different stadiums or just? Yeah, really good question. So the the MCG, which is the Coliseum, it's the the Melbourne Cricket Ground. It it seats 100,000 spectators. The grand final is played there every year. So a lot of the states don't like this. They would like to see the other states get it. Uh, There's an agreement that's been struck with the AFL that it is played, I think, for at least another 30 years by contract. Or, um, however, excluding the last past two years of COVID, the the game for the first time in the history, two years ago, so what's that, in 2020, the grand final was played up in uh, the Gabba, the Woolen Gabba up in Brisbane, so Queensland. And then last year it was over in Perth at their new stadium, beautiful stadium over, and that I think seats about 60,000. And it was just, there was, so getting back, sorry, to that question, there is one other stadium in Melbourne, right downtown. It was our first stadium with a roof, holds 60,000 people. It's called Marvel Stadium. That's uh, It's changed name over the sponsors over the years. <laughs> but that's a walk, both stadiums are walkable from downtown. Geelong, that team, it's about an hour outside of Melbourne. They have their own uh, their own stadium as well that they'll play, I'm guessing, eight to, eight to ten of their games there's 22 games a year so you probably get 11 or 12 home games in a year they'll probably play eight games down in geelong generally against interstate teams because if you're playing one of the melbourne teams it's usually bigger stadiums and they'll that so that's why there was a game last night thursday night football there'll be a game tonight for oh yeah friday night football and a couple over the weekend but it's thursday through sunday other games you know you talk about thursday night football is Friday a big day to call in sick for work? <laughs> it, it, are the fans rowdy? Is it like soccer or? Well, yeah, only the two teams playing. So, yeah. uh, and that'd be uh, so. There, yeah, there could be there could be a few uh, sore heads here in Carlton uh, waking up on Friday morning after <laughs> having a few too many of of the beers or, or what have you. But it's the why, and I'm again very biased when it's in Melbourne. Uh, that Coliseum there, there is six massive light towers, and it is about a three, four kilometer, uh, about a three kilometer walk from downtown. And nothing beats Friday night football. At, in my day, there was only Friday night football. It went Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But now with TV rights and everything, there's mm-hmm. there are some Thursday night games. And that that was it's oh pardon me that the greatest is you finish work at five o'clock. Hit a couple of the riverside bars as you as you're heading down. Uh, the ball bounces at eight o'clock. You've already had a couple before then, and uh, the greatest show on earth is about to unfold over the next two hours. Team has a win. You're probably maybe staying out a bit later, yeah. but it, it does. It becomes a late night, so uh, it used to be only a Friday night, so you'd be a little tired on a Saturday. But now, when it's a Thursday night, there could be a few sick days coming <laughs> up. Nice, nice. That's I, I love that story. Just like the whole getting ready for Friday night football and just walking down from work and it is having the drinks on the way. And- the single biggest thing that I miss, uh, especially when it's in our winter, so it's cold, it's gloomy, but if your team is playing Friday night football, especially my team when it's and if it's against the, one of the other three big Melbourne teams being Collingwood Magpies, 
Essendon Bombers, who I despise, and the, <laughs> and, and Richmond Tigers are not much better. Those three other teams against Carlton, you could have anywhere up on a on a regular home and away season game, you could have seventy to eighty thousand people at uh, at that venue, nice. and just the roar of the crowd. I get very get very turned on by just that those those big games. It's what every kid dreams for to play it. But to even go to one of those games, it's awesome. Yeah, that would be to be around eighty thousand people, or even like probably the big game, like a hundred thousand, like the grand just, final. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only the the only set shame about the the grand final is that it becomes very corporate. So, mm. like a Super Bowl, tickets are yeah. hard to get to. So, the, but if you can get to say a Colton Collingwood game or the Anzac Day Classic on April twenty fifth is Collingwood Essendon. One of the biggest games of the in the calendar, and it's eighty to nine for Anzac Day, April twenty fifth, would be not eighty to ninety thousand people, and they're generally ninety five percent are barracking for one of those two teams, and it is just raw emotion. It's whereas the grand final is it's you've got anyone and everyone that's there, whereas the true barrackers, the supporters, those big games throughout the year, the the ones you really mark in your calendar that must go. They're, they're what I really love about the football. Nice, nice. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I was just like thinking when you say 75 to 80,000 people, our CFL team here, the St. Peters, I think they top out about 38 or just shy of 40. Yeah. So 35, 36. So right around there, and you, you double that. <clears throat> I can only imagine what that buzz would sound like. The closest I've come to that was a couple NASCAR races where you're dead in the middle of 100,000 people. But you're, then you're drowned out by the cars going by. Yeah. No, it it's electric, and the thing I love about our sport as well, especially if you if you've seen it and watched it and played it enough, you can then start to see the play unfold. Like I've tried to do that at hockey, and what my worst thing I've done watching hockey is try to follow the puck. It's just too darn quick. I give myself yeah. a concussion <laughs> just like flicking back and forth. But the, if you can, you can then and the, and the spectators can see that as well and on a build up you can just start to hear it when i said a specky before that big mark when someone starts to get on a shoulder even before he's caught it the crowd is already like oh like it's, yeah. it, it really is and teams ride those the crowds the, one of the hardest ones is and we we get a little bit biased as a victorian like the western australian teams particularly the uh, the main West Coast Eagles is we always think oh they're like that the that crowd is pretty much eighty percent for that one team because there's not a lot of like Victorian or out of state support that'll make that four or five hour flight over to Perth to uh, to watch that game. So then the crowd can we sometimes can can have an impact on the umpire decisions as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the umpires would refute that, but we all hate umpires, <laughs> so we, we can say they're biased anyhow. But to to get the crowd behind a team, it's like, again, I would like, I've, I've only played in a couple of decent big games. One, I've, in all my years of playing, I played in one championship where we won. And and even for me, that was a like a, it was a few thousand people there watching it, and it was at one of the the professional grounds in Perth, and that was that was electric as well. Like you you can get caught in the caught in the headlights at some stage initially, but then it's time to switch on and just play the game. But uh, crowd buzz is like every kid's dream. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's your role with the Kangaroos now? They, these days, I'm just the uh, the chatty Cathy, uh, lo- <laughs> lo- loving the game. I. Uh, for a number of years, for the probably the first ten years, I was player, and then I also coached, player coach. Um, probably then realised I wasn't good enough for our nationals team, and uh, so when we go down to the US, to when I say our nationals team, it's the Calgary Kangaroos team. There's teams in all other cities in 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 Canada, but when uh, when we go down to the states, uh, international rules is of the eighteen on the field, you can only have nine Australians, so nine have to be non-Australians or. Americans, oh. Canadians. So, uh, when uh, after a few years playing, and we got into the Division One, uh, Calgary Kangaroos played in the Division One down in the US. And my my last year of playing, I was pretty much on the pine for the for the whole game. Rosie, I still uh, I just the coach's name was Rosie. I still have never never uh, never forgiven him for that. But I knew my days were numbered, <laughs> and then I was. But I still loved the sport, so I then started coaching. And uh, we took the team down there. We played. Uh, we played in a uh, Div One Championship again down in Austin. 
uh, back, I think it was 13, um, 2013. Wow, that's nine years ago. Maybe it was 14. But uh, unfortunately, we lost uh, the championship by one point to, oh. to, to the Austin Crows. It was... Uh, I was in all my years, and uh, I've played some serious enough games back home as well. But that that game, losing that, as coach to see the players, I was broken as a non-player. But to see the guys come off, and we were down by eighteen points after three minutes. They kicked, they 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 sprung us. They kicked three goals in the first, I think, eight minutes, and we were down three goals as eighteen points. We we're down eighteen zip, and you're only playing in the US. You're only playing a half a game, so two. 25 minute minute quarters okay yep. and so halfway through that first quarter or first half of the game you're already down 18 points so for the next 32 minutes of the game like we we basically won by 17 points but it was those first what was it three minutes whichever it was it was just uh we did so well to get back into it but we just ran out of time unfortunately and uh but yeah now it's uh a lot of good mates are uh part of the board still playing uh, probably some of them shouldn't be. They're a little too old. But uh, great club. Uh, they Both the girls now as well, the Calgary Kookaburras, should give them a, a shameless plug. They've got a great bunch of girls. Uh, Trisha Rolfley, uh, she's actually Team Canada's coach now as well. She's a part of the board. A lot of the girls are actively recruiting, same as the guys with Calgary Kangaroos. And, yeah, so on all the social media, you can uh, you can find them on uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, they're on the web, calgarykangaroos.ca. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's for all ages. They've got a great kids program that they run in the school holidays, and they go uh, they go around, uh, around the schools now, nice. and they're promoting that. Again, a bit harder in these months when uh, there's still <laughs> the white stuff on the ground, but uh, leading into uh, towards the end of the school year, the uh, the PE teachers get active and, uh, and start uh, bringing in this weird-shaped ball and uh, where kids have to learn how to bounce it on the run. Nice. Um, so when does the season start for the Calgary Kangaroos? When is there? When's the snow going to come <laughs> off the ground? So you know what they uh, they train uh, they train uh, indoors every Wednesday night. I think I read last uh, last night was the second last night. So next Wednesday will be the last indoor training session. So come April, uh, it's probably a good time to head down to the AE Cross. Is the school the Oval on Richmond Road and Thirty Seventh Street Southwest? Uh, the, the the board did a great job. They've now got permanent posts there, almost a full-size playing field. It's probably about 150 metres in length and around 120, 130 metres wide. And to have that green space is, in Calgary is an absolute privilege. Nice. So the, the club did really well with the city because you could probably put at least three soccer pitches on that. And that's always been that hard. Soccer pitches or baseball diamonds have been the mm-hmm. deterrence for, for us. They're, they're a little unforgiving when you run into those picks posts around the boundary <laughs> line. But they uh, training will start in April on the field as long as there's no uh, snow on the ground. Uh, by the end of April, they'll they'll start looking at the tournaments. There's, uh, there's all, always some great tournaments up against Edmonton there, like the... It's our little Battle of Alberta kind of thing. Luckily, they're still no good. Shouldn't say that. They're getting better, though. <laughs> it depends. Where, and, and oil's been a barometer of this city for a long time. So there's generally more Australians that are, that are down here. Their Canadians are... Uh, they're, 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 there's some solid players up there as well, up the, up the highway. Vancouver have four teams there. We used to have four teams. So we have tournaments in Kelowna as well, the Kelowna Cup. Usually uh, August, I think that is. Uh, we have a Stampede Cup where Edmonton, Banff sometimes has a team that okay. that there's always a bunch of Aussies in Banff if they're yeah. if they're not in the pub or on the ski hills. <laughs> but uh, and then sometimes we try and invite some American teams, mix mix like over the years to try and get uh, teams up here for that. But it's always great fun. But uh, they have a home in a way that we call ourselves the Calgary Kangaroos. And we travel as the Calgary Kangaroos, but we have two teams under that umbrella: the Calgary, the the Cowboys which was my team, and uh, the blue team, and the red team of the Bears. And so if you're looking at a schedule, you can see online there's a uh, like a red team with Bear, referring to Bears and a, and a navy blue team of the Cowboys. They're all part of the Calgary Kangaroos, which are royal blue and white, our, our, our traditional team colors or our strip that we'll play down in the States in, or when we play Edmonton or Vancouver or any traveling team. Nice, nice. I like that. That's awesome. Thanks for being on the show today. This I really enjoyed this. I, that, that was fantastic. That oh, was my pleasure. Real, real fun to learn <laughs> yeah. more about it. 
yeah, um, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes where people can go watch game and uh, all the social media stuff as well. So if you're listening to this, look below on your phone or on your computer so you can find out where to catch a game. And if you're looking for more information or if you want to play, you know, go check out the Calgary Kangaroos webpage. So, Adrian, thanks for being on. This was awesome. I really enjoyed this. So, uh, No, my pleasure. Avery, Kevin, it's been a great, uh, great evening chatting, and uh, thanks very much for having me. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. So... That was an amazing part of the podcast. I'm so glad Adrian was on. That was fantastic. It was really nice um, of him to drop by. uh, You know, we talked a lot about highlights and that, and I've watched a lot of highlights, especially over the last couple weeks, just preparing ourselves for getting Adrian. And the way he talked about the game and his knowledge of the game was, was really cool. I really enjoyed having him on just because it's cool seeing the highlights but to know more where those highlights are coming from was pretty awesome. And just a passion that yeah. he still has with it, whether it's yeah. coaching or playing or, you know, just keeping the organization or going to the schools to teach the younger kids yeah. that aren't in a league. Yeah. And I hopefully um, I, I'm going to try our best like to catch a game or two this year because I think it'd be awesome to see just a local team playing, especially if they put a beat down on Edmonton. And it's relatively central in the city, as you said, yeah. AE Cross. I mean, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I'd, like I said, I'm going to definitely catch a game. I think we should catch a game together and maybe do like a live podcast from it and talk about what we see. And Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, Adrian, thank you for being on. This was truly a great pleasure for us. It was really awesome. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about Australian rules football. So, but we're also going to talk about other stuff today. Uh, we can't just talk about one sport. Um, <laughs> you want to talk about F1 and racing in general. Like you watched, what, last weekend hours of racing on Sunday? Yeah, pretty much. I, I woke up about 6.30 on a day off, which is frustrating as it is. But I, I turned on the TV and the F1 was just like wrapping up on the qualifying, getting ready for yeah. the race. It was the uh, season opener. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I haven't watched it probably since my, the late end of Michael Schumacher's career. And it got to the point of whoever, if he got to the first corner, turn the race on three hours later and you could, yeah. see, you could see someone win. But apparently from last year to this year, they made some modifications to make a more packed uh, racing and stuff like that. And, all in all, the race itself was it, it was all right. It was an average race. It, w- it wasn't as spread out, which was nice to see. Okay, but the last I'd say five laps, five to seven laps, was where the excitement was. Uh, you had two strong teams or two strong cars with the Red Bull team, and one by one, their engines just crapped out on them. So that moved Ferrari up, and then that brought in Hamilton into a podium, which he wasn't going to place. No, I-, I like Lewis. I really do. And maybe I'm on the outside because he's a big winner. And, you know, some people don't like the big winners. I, I like him as a person, what he stands for a lot. He's very so, humble as a driver. Yeah. So I, I really like him. And I'm glad he finished on a podium. Most of the stuff I know, I've I've been watching this series of Drive to Survive on Netflix. I've watched the first three seasons. I'm in the fourth season now, which is last year. So I'm pretty sure with both... Uh, Red Bull cars coming out that it was somebody else's fault. Somehow, some way, it's not Red Bull's fault that both of their engines died in the race. It's probably Mercedes' fault somehow because <laughs> Red Bull always seems to be whining about it. Or, you know, they're probably going to put a protest in. How come their cars didn't win? It should have only been this many laps. It should The race should have stopped after they had an engine stoppage and they should have came in second or third or whatever. And that's the thing. Like during the race, like when the first driver was going out, you they were listening to the uh, dr- driver crew uh, communication yeah. and he's just losing his mind. And the guy's like, there's nothing we can do. It's not even battery. We don't know what it is. Just yeah. if you can get it into the pits without affecting the race, great. Yeah. But I mean, does Red Bull, Team Red Bull, like who do they go through for engine builders? Because they're going to have to be doing some major talks because they raced again this Sunday. I think they started making their own engine okay. a couple of years ago. I, I I may be wrong in saying that, but just from the TV show, they they 
when I first started watching the TV show, I think they were getting their engines from Ferrari. And I may be wrong on that. I think you're right. So yes. don't quote me 100%. Which I would be th- even a bigger kick to them, considering Ferrari plays first yeah. and second. And then they started getting their engines from Honda, who doesn't have any racing team at all. So That's right, yeah. But they did good with those. They, they were on a rise, I'd say. And then they started building their own engines. From what I understand, like I said, don't quote me 100%. But I think they're on their own engines now, like since last year. So it's their own fault. So they can't blame anybody. But as you said, though, I mean, when you're sitting that close to finishing it up, that's nine times out of ten, you're going to look for someone else other than within. Well, especially Red Bull. They're a bunch of whiners. <laughs> I follow up, and I'm going to give like another podcast a shout out here besides their own. But Get Checkered Podcast. Uh, it's a couple ladies in Calgary here. They're cu- They're awesome. It's an awesome podcast. They started becoming F1 fans. By watching the show. So they both started watching the show. They got involved in it. They liked it. They liked what they saw. Now they watch the races. They're very passionate fans. And so I listen to their podcast to get all caught up. And Nice. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's great that more and more people. Yeah. Like, because it used to be just a guy will sit there, drink beer, and watch cars go around yeah. in circles or on a road course. But I, I think uh, it's great to see some other people involved, like you just said. And great to see some local people in Calgary here being passionate. And I think the Netflix series has done that for the sport. And I know Netflix is working on a very, very similar type of show with golf coming up this year. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Netflix has signed a whole bunch of golfers up, just like they do with the racing teams. So they have, a, from what I understand, they have a very impressive um, list of golfers that they'll be talking to throughout the season and having a lot of unlimited access so it'd be interesting to see with that with golf because golf has been on decline for years so maybe it'll give some people some more passion about it but f1's not the only races you watch this weekend what else uh i I watched the indy race it was the second race of the season uh they were in texas on the um nascar oval tri-oval that they have there again pretty decent race all in all and it was one teammate was passed by his own and beat him by six one hundredths of a second on coming out of the last corner in the last lap. So you talk about teammates, and I'm going to go back to the Netflix series about this. Sometimes those calls are made by the team lead or the team captain or who was ever in charge. Did the team lead or make the decision on that, or is it just no, two what, guys racing? It was it was Two guys clean racing. There's no communication of hey, so and so is going to take it this week. Yeah, his uh, when he was in the uh, victory circle, the guy, his teammate came up to him and the winner was apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He goes, no, I got loose. I had no car. Yeah, my tires were gone. It was a clean win. Yeah, that's that's good to see too. Yeah, like, my, I thought when I think NASCAR, I think shake and bake with delegate, <laughs> <laughs> delegate, yeah. Talladega, I can't Talladega. Even Talladega Nights, and like just Will Ferrell, and just it's great to see that it was an actual good. Or you go to the r- other extreme and look at uh, Days of Thunder when they're smashing each other going yeah. down the back stretch. I don't really remember that movie. Maybe I'll have to watch it again. Get my Tom Cruise fix for the <laughs> next ten years. And then, and then that's how I wrapped it up. Was the uh, NASCAR race at Atlanta? Okay, uh, that was a that was a good race. Uh, they had just done a repave. So whether it's NASCAR or if it's Indy or if it's motorcycle racing or F1, you you have a first race on a repave. It's a brand new green track. It's going to drive different. I think Atlanta did some configurations. I can't remember if they changed the style of it. They were talking about it. They did. I've seen... I, I watch a lot of YouTube. I don't have cable. Uh, YouTube is my... And sometimes I'll watch stuff on paving roads. And I watched the... Coincidentally, you're talking about how they redone the track in Atlanta. I saw, uh, I don't want to say documentary on it, but I seen a vi- YouTube video on it, how they stripped it all down, where they put different types of pavement on. So that top layer is more porous to let water through and better drainage. So the track can become drier quicker. Nice. Okay. So, okay. And they talked about the banking angles and how they have to have them precisely at the right thing compared to years ago when... They're making tracks, and like, I think it, the Daytona, it's like 24 degrees, and that they just, when they first made that bank, they just made it. 
Yeah. There was no precise equipment. There was no engineer, like not as near as engineering that they put into it now, like where every inch of the track is looked at and made sure it's at that perfect angle. It was just like, oh, yeah, we'll just make it like this. And But now that's like the standard like of track banking. And so. Which is really interesting because, I mean, I... I was trying to multitask as guys. We don't do too well on that. <laughs> so I, I, I knew that it was a repave. Just didn't know how much they dipped in or tore out. So yeah. that, that's really interesting to know. Yeah, it was really cool to see that. That That's kind of stuff in the background that intrigues me about racing, but not just racing, like sports in general. Yeah. Like, I think it was three or four years ago, they overseeded Augusta, the national golf like um, major there. And it was just interesting, the process that they went through to, they wanted a new seed on there and just, just the way they did it, it was kind of cool. Like I've watched videos like that. I've watched videos on Lambeau Field and how the grounds crew there is just like so immersed in the grass. Yeah. They have growing lights, and they have growing lights at different times of day in different parts of the field because different parts of the field get different amounts of sun during the day, so they want to have it even. So, you know, it's interesting in that, like, just how much goes into the grass on the NFL field and the drainage underneath and how they heat the... It's no longer the frozen tundra that it used to be because... There's heating under it. It keeps it warm. And I was just um, going to say, there's a huge difference between your northern teams compared to your yeah. southern uh, football teams where they don't have to worry about the snow and the uh, colder yeah. elements. I mean, they still have the rain and stuff, but they're not going to get a frozen ground. Yeah, yeah. So th- just some amazing technology that goes into everyday field maintenance and how they cut the grass and the the care that they take and, you know, it's just amazing technology that goes into sports now. So it's I, I, I enjoy watching that type of stuff. So Well, my, that was my weekend. So what did you do the last couple of weeks? What did you get into? I didn't get into too, too much. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me. I got to say the Memorial Championship in, oh, I think it's Waco for disc golf was on. Paul McBeth didn't play in the Open at the first big tournament of the year. So just learning why he didn't and some why some players play in some tournaments and some, they don't play in other tournaments. Um, it's just becoming a sport where the players become picky. And when I say Paul McBeth, he's one of the best disc golfers out there. So, But yeah, just following up on that, saw some... Just like, I didn't watch too much. Just keeping it. NFL's been crazy, just trying to keep up on all the trades. Every like, second day, there's something huge happening right now. Yeah, so just interesting, like the Browns, like, what are they going to do for quarterback there? Um, well, they got that fixed up, though. They, okay, they've signed someone. Whether yeah. he can play or not, it's a different yeah, story. That, I, I don't know. That's a lot. There's a lot against him there. It'd be nice to see what happens, whether he's guilty or, or not. Um, well, Mayfield said... He wanted out as soon as he found out they were talking. Yeah. Asked for it to be traded. They said no. Then he said, okay, I'll come there. Now Mayfield's out. Where is he at now? Nowhere. Oh, so did they cut him? Uh, They they haven't officially cut him yet. Oh, okay. Places are winding up right now. I think Seattle's still looking for a a quarterback or a second quarterback. Um, Wentz moved to Indy. Yeah, I think uh, Seattle needs a quarterback. <laughs> well, they got one out of the Denver trade. Oh, okay, yeah. They um, uh, would lock. Yeah, but is that the quarterback you want? I didn't say it was the quarterback they want. I just said he got one. But it, but is Baker Mayfield also the quarterback that you want as well? Last year, I can't say. I'm not a Browns fan, but... Nobody I outside will... of Cleveland is, so... <laughs> fair fair <laughs> enough. But last year, it was a whole team Yeah, it was meltdown. Team. It wasn't just him. Because you look at the year before... He, or the two years prior, they did really, really well. And last year, yeah. they just forgot to put on the jerseys and show up to the uh, football field. Yeah. But, I mean, it's going to happen. But then you look at your situation with your team. Or who do they have? What are they going to do? Then my guys, uh, Green Bay sending everyone left, right, and center now that Aaron signed. Uh, they've had uh, two or three people just gone. KC just made a big trade yesterday. Yeah, well... In order to pay somebody fifty million dollars, you gotta not pay somebody. So yep. that's why I, I, I'm gonna say it to Tom Brady. You know, I, I hate. I think everybody loves to hate Tom Brady, and it's the easy thing to do. 
uh, I make fun of my brother all the time for being a Patriots fan, and you know he wasn't a Bucks fan for thirty some days there, <laughs> but now he is. I ask him how his ankles are doing all the time for jumping on and off the bandwagon. But yeah, it, what he's done over his career to win championships, he could have had that fifty million dollar contract this year. He could have had. He would always be the highest paid quarterback, but he wouldn't have won championships. Yeah. He's always restructured his contract to get other players so he could win championships. Oh, definitely. Yes. So it's it all depends on what you want. And and yes, I understand wanting money. I understand wanting a half a billion dollars on a contract Mahomes. Like Is that where he's at? Wow. It, but think about how much he'll get over that contract. Like, yeah, 10 years, almost half a billion dollars. But, you know, sponsorships and commercials. He, True enough, yeah. He's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Do you want, what are you going to do with $500 million and not have any championships? Like, Well, that, that's, exa- that's exactly it. How much are you going? And, you know, money isn't a guarantee to get yourself a championship because other sports have tried doing the same thing. It worked yeah. for the Rams last year where they brought in and they went out big. They they swung and they swung big and they succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. But like in the salary cap era, it's it's hard. And when you're paying somebody that much money, you have to pay other guys. And like I say, Aaron Rodgers is a perfect example. Like, yeah, he's a great quarterback. He'll make some great plays. Yep. But I don't think they'll win a championship because you have no other people there to play with. So Yep. No, and I mean Casey's big thing yesterday was having uh oh who was it uh, Tyreek Hill yeah Hill he went Tyreek. down to um, Miami Miami and it was uh really interesting hearing about it while I was working that it was the Jet and the Dolphins and then Tyreek tweeted out I'm torn on what to do <laughs> and within five minutes of that tweet he signed on with the Dolphins oh. I, I I don't think you were torn at all no um. J-E-T-S, Jets. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's no good team in New York right now. So, But why Tua in Miami? I don't know. Maybe he's going to be good, but I don't know if he's championship material again. Surprise. Like, maybe he's just chasing the money as well. But I'm surprised more guys don't chase the championship. Oh, 100%. I mean, if this is what you've dedicated your life to, you want to walk away with the championship. You know, put yourself together for the... 18, 19 weeks, you know, what, 20 if you look into preseason and stuff. Yeah. And that's what you, you want that goal. You want to get there. You don't it, want to pull up short. And maybe it's easy for us to say where we don't have that four or five, six year window to play in the NFL and make our money for the rest of our lives. But at the same time, you're going to make more in that four or five years than I'm going to make ever. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I told a buddy of mine at work, I said, I'd gladly be, uh, Franchise tag at work for twenty mil a year, <laughs> and he told me to leave. Yeah, yeah, I, I could ask my bosses that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a lot of sports talk this week. We've been on for a while here, so thanks for uh, holding up with us. Um, yeah, I hope you're still chiming in or listening in. Still trying to get out on some more podcasts and um, areas. We're now on Google. Pl- Google Podcasts. Hopefully soon we'll be on some other Stitcher and Apple, so I'm working on it. But yeah, um, thanks for listening in, and thanks for uh, being fans of our podcast.